invite you to open God's Word with me this morning to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, the end of that chapter as we conclude our message series that we've been working through. In Revelation 2 and 3 on the letters to the seven churches, letters from, from Jesus. And certainly our desire is to praise the Lord, to give Him the unbroken praise that he is due. He is worthy. In order for us to faithfully follow Him and to know Him and to serve Him, to live for Him, we, we need to regularly hear from Him. We, we need to listen from Him, to listen to Him. This same Jesus once said, recorded in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus went on to explain that uh, these same folks that he's referring to practiced religion in this life, even identifying by name with Jesus Christ, but Jesus says they are not his. Billy Graham is famous for uh, saying something to the effect that is uh, that our greatest mission field uh, is the church. It's something like half of Folks that are in church on Sunday mornings uh, perhaps are not following Christ. They're, they're lost. Jesus doesn't give us such a percentage. But he does indicate that some who claim his name, some who claim the name Christian, are, aren't actually his people. And church, that's concerning. That in and of itself ought to be enough to make every one of us pause and reflect on our own hearts, our own lives, to examine where we are. To ask ourselves, am I really living for Jesus or am I simply going through religious motions but actually living for myself? In other words, do I really trust Christ? Do I really believe in Him? On the seventh and final letter, the letter to the Laodicean church, Jesus confronts a church filled with unbelievers. Like many of the churches in our own day, in our own time, the church at Laodicea was wealthy and, and prosperous. They were fluent and popular and proud. But Jesus seems to indicate here that they may not actually be a church at all. Let's listen to what he says, what he says to the church in Laodicea and what he says to whoever hears his words. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of his word Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Let's hear from Christ. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person 
and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, let's bow. Father, we are here to hear from you. Lord, we want to worship you. We long to glorify you. And we know we can only do so as we hear from you and as we respond to you. So, Lord, speak to us now. Lord, speak to us. May your spirit speak to us through your word. We long to hear from you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. You know, one thing that we learn from uh, these revelation letters is that when it comes to church faithfulness and church health, we need to hear from Jesus. We need to hear from Jesus. These are letters from Jesus. These seven uh, church evaluations aren't coming from a paid professional or a church growth consultant or anything like that. They are coming from Christ Jesus himself, the Son of God and the head of the church. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Amen means surely or indeed or truly. It's confirmation of something uh, said or done. Of course, this is why in some circles and some churches, when the preacher makes a point from God's word in a powerful way, people say amen. I I grew up in a church uh, where there were a few uh, regular Ameners, um, and I, I, I bragged on you regular late service folks just a little bit this morning to the first service. I said we ha- we have a few occasional Ameners here at Meadowbrook, I think, and I said most of those are in the late service. Amen. Amen. There we go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, so we're, we're all going to we're all going to practice that just a little bit this morning. Can we do that. I'm serious. So I'm going to say something. You don't have to do this the whole time unless the Spirit leads you to. I'm going to say something true and collectively we'll say amen. So let's begin with these words. God is uh, the sovereign king. God is with us here this morning. God loves us with an unfailing love. We are called to serve him and live for him. I can't wait for college football season to be over. There's a few, a few of you that are in that boat with me. But in all seriousness, when John writes, when John says, these are the words of the amen, he is saying, these are the words of the true one, the one in whom there is no lie. His word is sure because he is sure. John knew this. He already knew that Jesus was the truth. For John opened his gospel account by saying that uh, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He went on to record Jesus' famous words in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul the Apostle once wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, no matter how many promises God has made, Earlier we heard the, the tune from the handbell, standing on the promises of God. God is a God who makes promises. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 
And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So Paul is saying that the promises of God given to his people in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ is God's yes to the promise. To the promise to Abraham, and the promise to Moses, and the promise to David, the promises that came through Isaiah and the prophets. The Messiah is the Amen, the confirmation of God's faithfulness and God's plan, and we need to hear from Him. We come to church for a variety of reasons sometimes. Sometimes we come uh, out of guilt. Sometimes perhaps we come out of tradition. Sometimes we come to be with our friends. Sometimes we come out of curiosity and Some of these reasons are valid, right, and good. But when we gather, we ought to want to hear from the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He is present and he desires to speak to us. We need to hear from Jesus. And when we come without any expectation or desire to hear from him, we come thinking and acting as if we don't really need him. That was the problem in Laodicea. Self-reliant self-sufficient version of Christianity, which is really no, no form of Christianity at all because self-sufficiency is the antithesis of Christianity. Self-sufficiency is the, antith- the opposite of Christianity. Friends, this is hard for us. For it not only goes against our natural sin nature, but it goes against much of our Western individualistic mindset. Perhaps it even counters our own experience in academics, in sports, in the job market, maybe even in church leadership. We want to think that we can do it, that we can do whatever we put our minds to, but God says you cannot accomplish your salvation. For that, you are completely and utterly dependent on a Savior to come and to rescue you. Laodicea was a city in the first century in ancient Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It was situated in the Lycus Valley, just a few miles from Colossae and Herapolis, two other nearby towns. Archaeologists have uncovered an aqueduct system that carried water from the hot springs of Heropolis to Laodicea. But as that water traveled those five or six miles, by the time the water arrived there in Laodicea, it was, it was lukewarm. It was neither hot nor cold. Distasteful and unrefreshing in that state. Jesus says to the church there, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In addition to lukewarm water, Laodicea was also known as a banking center. Known for its wool and its linen industries, particularly its black wool. And for a medical school that produced a a special eye ointment. This was a place of prosperity and success. In fact, after an earthquake destroyed the city in AD 60, the Laodiceans refused financial help from Rome. They, they wanted to rebuild their city themselves, and they did. They could. They were self-sufficient, self-supported, and self-made, a cultural mindset that also had begun to infiltrate the church there. 
blending easily with the surrounding culture. They were proud and self-confident, practicing a Christless Christianity. Association without surrender. Acceptance without submission. Declaring Jesus without denying self. Riches and religion, but no regeneration. Attending church, but no adoration for the one who is the head of the church. Prosperous and popular, yet spiritually poor and eternally condemned. The appearance of faith, but no real fruit. Our Lord Jesus is clear on the path of discipleship. He says, John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, faith in Christ produces self-sacrifice, not self-sufficiency. It's easy to sort of leave this in that ancient world. We may not have black wool markets or we may not have a, uh, 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 we are a banking center, but we, we don't have a uh, linen, um, losing my words here, linen market here. We, we don't have all of these things. We're not known for some of these things, but we do have uh, an Apple store. And we have a Mercedes uh, dealership and we've got degrees and we've got savings accounts and we've got 401ks and we've got big houses and second homes and many other things that are not bad in and of themselves. But the moment those things become our primary identity, the moment we begin to pat ourselves on the back for those things, the moment we depend too much on those things, we are missing the gospel. The message of the cross is about divine provision, not personal achievement. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the only ground for our boasting. It is finished, Christ said from the cross, for he had accomplished salvation for us. He did it. He did it. So my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, the ground of my health or my wealth, my success, or popularity, my personality, or ability, my charm, or my children. None of these other things offer lasting hope. They will all soon fade away. certainly heard the expression, from from rags to riches, according to Jesus, for many it may be from riches to rags. British theologian and missionary to China, since gone on to be with the Lord, C.T. Studd, once wrote, only... One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Surrender, submission, and service to Christ is the way of truth and victory. It is the way of hope and healing. The way of true riches and real rejoicing. Humble service to Christ is the antidote. It is the remedy to the loose and lukewarm version of religion that plagued Laodicea. Tempted by comfort and complacency, we too need to hear Paul's exhortation recorded in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, to never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
words is that those who, who know Christ, those who've experienced the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, ought to be able to readily take to heart for we are the recipients of God's abundant mercy. Kindness that leads us to repentance. Kindness that leads us to want to serve and honor and obey Him. May we never ever consider indifference to Jesus Christ as an option. I mean, seriously, if we take Christ Jesus seriously at all, how could we? How could we? How could we casually ignore Christ and the cross? How could we not either receive and rejoice and revel in the riches of God's undeserved gift of salvation or simply flat out reject it as a lie? Friends, Christ Jesus is the gracious gift of the glorious gospel. He is the gracious gift, the undeserved gift of the glorious gospel. He is it and he is enough. He is the provider of true riches, the giver of forgiveness without grudges. He is the grantor of unhindered unhindered access to God the Father forever and ever and ever, the provider of purity and purpose and the source of all spiritual understanding. He is the Messiah, the chief cornerstone, and the King. And yet here, don't miss His tender call. Jesus says, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me. Taking the position of a counselor, may I suggest, may I suggest that, that you buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can truly see. The king could command and yet he counsels He even appeals here to these lost souls based upon their own culture and context, even their own desires and potential idols. Real riches. Come to me for prestigious clothing. Come to me for clear vision. Jesus says you think you're okay, but you're not. You think you are secure, but you're sick. You think you have it all, but you have nothing if you don't have me. Friend, do you have Christ? Do you know Christ? Is He the Lord of your life? Are you bowing before Him? Are you surrendering to Him? Are you following Him? Do you know of His love for you? Have you responded to His tender call? Do you know of His sacrifice? Have you heard His call? Have you received what He offers you? Paul described the gospel this way to believers. Beautiful picture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know... He says, you, you believers that know this story, you, you know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, eternal Son of God on His throne in heaven, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Church, Jesus counsels the complacent to receive true riches. Counsels the complacent, those who don't see their need for Him. Those that are depending upon themselves. He counsels the complacent to receive true riches. See, the Bible suggests here that you can appear religious. You can even belong to a church and yet remain content without Christ. 
You can profess the faith with your lips, yet continue depending on yourself. And Jesus says, buy from me gold refining the fire. Come to me. Come to me. Turn to the one who offers everything you need. Turn to the one who offers you everything that you need. Jesus knows what we need and he offers us everything we need. Of course, he's appealing to his consumer-oriented audience. We can't press the, the buy from me language for salvation cannot be bought. It's already been paid for. So Jesus says to the merchants of Laodicea and to the consumers of Birmingham, forsake your former suppliers and come trade with me. The words of the Lord through Isaiah the prophet, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You don't need money to buy the goods Jesus offers you. You simply need to turn from self-confidence and place your confidence in the Savior. Turn to the one who offers you everything you need. Mark chapter 1 records the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And Mark writes, he says, after John, speaking of John the Baptist, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That was the call. Repent and believe. Turn from sin and self and believe in the Messiah. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Christ. Friend, invite Christ to rule and reign in your heart. Invite Him to rule and to reign in your heart. Repent and trust Him. Bow before Him. See, Mark continues that story. The very next verses of his gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 16, we continue reading. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I'll send you out to fish for people. Verse 18, at once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, they obeyed. Submission to Christ's lordship is marked by immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. Delayed, reluctant obedience doesn't impress Christ any more that, than it impresses parents of little kids. Because it reveals the true condition of our hearts. And Jesus is interested in our hearts. He wants our hearts. Does He have your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? See, the Bible is clear that Jesus the Christ does rule and reign on high. That He is the author of all life, that He is the sovereign King, that He is a, a righteous judge. He is King whether you and I bow before Him now or not, whether you and I surrender and serve Him now or not, but He's a good and kind King. He, he's a King that desires to satisfy our needs. He's a King that desires to be known by us. He's a King that longs for a relationship with us. He provides for us. He wants to fellowship with us. He, he wants to be invited in. Here I am, Jesus says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Friend, let him in. 
invite him in. The gospel declares that we, we are not worthy to be in the presence of the king, much less to have him come under the roof of our house and sit at our table to fellowship with us. And yet this is what King Jesus does. He comes near. He stoops down. He lays down his life for us. He invites us to receive true riches by feasting with him and on him forever. Feast on Christ now and forever. Feast on Christ now and forever. He is our nourishment. He is our salvation. He is our God and our life and our future. He is it. And church, next week we're going to gather here again. Next Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning. We're going to gather. We're going to worship Him. We're going to exalt His name. We're going to come longing to hear from Him and with a desire to praise Him and to be corrected where we're wrong and to have an encounter with with him. We're going to gather, we're going to celebrate him. And part of that celebration next week is we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to have communion. We're going to observe, we're going to participate for those who know him. We're going to participate in this physical representation of the inward spiritual feast that Christ invites us to enjoy. A feast and a supper that are merely a foretaste of the great wedding supper of the Lamb. Merely a foretaste of another feast, another celebration, another example of divine provision forever and ever. In fact, fast forward in Revelation, several chapters to chapter 19, verse 5. Listen to what John sees. He says, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. John says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. He provided the garments. John says, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Friend, those who invite him in, those who surrender to Christ, those who invite him in to rule and to reign in their lives, will receive his invitation to a marriage celebration that will never, ever, ever end. You received an invitation. Will you receive an invitation to that celebration, that feast, that place of true riches? Not the other stuff that we put in the place of Christ here, but no, Christ Himself, the hope of our eternal salvation. Respond to Him, bow before Him, invite Him in. Serve Him, exalt Him, for He is worthy. Father, help us to do so. We need You. Or we are prone to wander. We are prone to go our own way. We're prone to neglect You without Your intervention. So Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would convict us where we are in error. May Your kindness lead us to repentance. May we bow before You. May we forever exalt the name of Jesus Christ, for He is worthy. Lord, move among us. 
be glorified in us. May we respond this morning to the words of Jesus Christ in a way that honors the name of Jesus Christ. It's for the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.